Cool. Thanks, girls. Thanks very much. Um, cool. So, um, yeah, we're going to go through Matthew 8. Um, I think that's the wrong one. <laughs> it should be called Contagious Holiness, Will, the Kingdom. Um, so last, last week, yeah, we started a new series um, called The Kingdom, which we're going to go through kind of like we did last year or the year before with The Way. We were looking at Jesus teaching on the Sermon on the Mount through Matthew 4 to 7 and kind of breaking it up. And then I thought, well, let's just take the next chunk and walk through, walk through that slowly and calling it The Kingdom. This is Matthew 8 to 10. And it's kind of like Jesus has just been teaching about the kingdom in, in The Way, um, what it looks like to live with God as king. I think that looks like the right one. Yep, that's great. Awesome. And um, I might just be a bit loud, Pete. <laughs> Maybe just go down a little bit. Um, and then I kind of looked to last week. If you were here last week, you noticed I had a bit of a breakdown up here. I'm okay this week. Don't worry. I think, I think we'll be all right, hopefully. <laughs> um, if you didn't know, I was joking. Hopefully everyone knew I was joking. <laughs> like, I didn't leave being like freaking out still. But yeah, but we're going to keep going. And last week, the kind of one of the points was that the kingdom... Um, Jesus' kingdom often is kind of the opposite or upside down to what we might think. Um, Jesus says like things like, if you want to find your life, you need to lose it. He says things like, the greatest is the one who serves. Um, the first, first will be last, the last will be first. He kind of flips things a lot, which I think is part of the reason why Jesus says to seek first the kingdom. It's like if it's not the first thing, the first approach to life or the first priority, we're not going to get there. If we sort of think, let's get everything else in order, then we'll deal with the kingdom, it won't ever happen because it's a whole different way of approaching the world and thinking about life and actually is the true life of God, the life of heaven. So you want to live according to his kingdom. So what we're going to do is Jesus has kind of taught about this. Now he's come down the mountain like we just read and now he's really displaying what this kingdom looks like and what it looks like in action. And you'll notice in these chapters there's lots of healings and there's lots of people being welcomed and there's Jesus demonstrating not just his authority to teach but his authority over sin and sickness and death and, and disease and, and that he's got this power. Uh, so what we're going to do is look at this, this passage um, today, which is really interesting. Only four verses we're going to go through. I'll just read this first little bit again. This is Matthew 8. So he's just finished teaching. Uh, people have talked about his authority. It says, And Jesus came down the mountainside. Large crowds followed him. So all these people are noticing him. There's all these people around. And a man with leprosy came and knelt before him. And said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now we read that and we think, okay, yep, man with leprosy coming to get healing from Jesus. Jesus heals people. That's fine. Nothing really new here. But if you kind of read this with the background of the Old Testament and the Bible and the culture of the day, this should kind of raise alarm bells. Like, this shouldn't really be happening. Like, if, if a man has leprosy, he should not be running up to Jesus. If Jesus is the man of God... And he's teaching the people. And the man with leprosy can't just run up there. The man with leprosy shouldn't even really be around the crowd or there. So there's, there's like alarm bells that are ringing. But we kind of don't really get that because we don't necessarily think according to that culture or Jewish culture or don't understand the background. So what I want to do today is, is give some background um, about this guy. Because in this story, Jesus heals him. But it's interesting because it doesn't talk about healing, but it talks about cleansing and being clean. Because this leper, or this man with a skin problem, is unclean. And we kind of don't necessarily think of things in this way um, now, particularly in the New Testament or in our culture. But people being unclean was a big deal in Jewish culture. 
So what I want to do is give some background of this, um, have a look through everyone's favorite book in the Bible, Leviticus, and Numbers, and just give some background, we'll be brief, and then kind of come back to this passage with fresh eyes and really see the, the, the profound thing that Jesus is doing in this story. So I'm just going to pray, and then we'll get started. So yeah, Father, just thank you for your word and your spirit. Um, thank you that we can gather. Uh, thank you for communion that we center on the cross. Thank you for forgiveness. And Lord, just ask that you would speak um, and reveal your kingdom to us in deeper ways, God. Just transform our minds, our hearts, align them to your true reality of, of heaven. And would you just move in our midst today, God, and speak to us and bring life. We just pray this in your name. Amen. So yeah, we're going to have a little bit of a look at Leviticus. Maybe if you started a Bible reading plan at the moment, you might be kind of around there, or you might have just got through it. Often people start reading the Bible like, oh, Genesis is pretty good, Exodus is pretty interesting, and then what have I got myself into? <laughs> What's all this? And then it just keeps going and going. But actually, one of my favorite verses is in Leviticus. This is one of my favorite verses. If a man's hair falls out of his head, he is bald, he is clean. <laughs> so if you're bald, we're clean, we're good. <laughs> and then, yeah, so don't worry about that today. But there's other things in the book of Leviticus where people are actually unclean. Um, and again, this is strange, uh, but what I want to do is try to give some insight. This is a different culture. It's a different time period. We have to approach it kind of trying to understand what was happening, what God was teaching them, what people understood about holiness, which is a big theme of Leviticus as we go. Because in, in Numbers 5.2, it says this, Command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous, that could be leprosy or it could be any kind of really skin disease. Anyone who has a discharge or anyone who's unclean through contact with the dead. So these are things that would make people unclean. There are other things in Leviticus and Numbers. I'm not an expert at it at all. I'm still kind of learning and trying to understand this. Um, but basically, being clean or unclean is significant in, in, in the Old Testament, in Leviticus. And in these situations, if you're unclean, you need to be, in a sense, quarantined. You, you need to be put to the side. Um, you can't just be a part of normal society. You can't. And the reason is because if you're unclean and touch somebody else or someone else touches you, they also become unclean. And there's even other laws where if, if you touch a chair and then someone else touches that chair, then they become unclean. So you can see it's really contagious. It spreads. So if someone's unclean, that uncleanness will spread and kind of be contagious and affect other things, so there needs to be a quarantine that gets put aside. And again, we think, well, this just seems weird and strange. But the reason in Leviticus 11 says this, For I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. And again, in Leviticus it says again and again that God is holy. So the word holy means that it's someone, it means to be set apart, it means to be unique, and, and God is the ultimate holy one. There's no one like him. He is completely unique. No one else is the author of life. No one else can create a universe. No one else sustains everything. No one else is completely good and pure and beautiful and true. He is holy. He is unique. And um, Tim Mackey, I based a fair bit of this on, on a message where he kind of unpacks a lot of this. Um, that He says God is holy and therefore the space around God is holy. And the people who are near God are supposed to become holy. So God is this, this perfectly good, pure, unique being. 
So then we see this, you see in the burning bush, the space around God is holy ground. So, so God tells Moses to take off his sandals. And we see this in the Old Testament, people coming into God's presence are to be holy. And we might read that and we think, well, that just sounds like maybe God's uptight or this is a bit weird, like what, why does he care? Um, and it, and it, but it's this concept of God being holy that's so important. And we sort of think, well, that's foreign. We don't have that today. That doesn't really happen. But we, we actually do have things like this today. Uh, there's actually rooms in our society that, in a sense, are holy. Um, there, there was rooms in Israel that were holy, particularly one room, the Holy of Holies. And not anyone could go into that room. It was a holy room. It was the Holy of Holies. God's presence was there. Only priests could go in there, and only certain priests at certain times. And they had to go through cleansing rituals. They had to offer certain sacrifices. They had to wear certain clothes. There was all these rituals and procedures to go into this holy space. It was this, this clean space, this pure space that needed to be kept that way. So there were boundaries and guard, guarding sort of points. We think, well, why? But, but we have this today. We have rooms that are, in a sense, holy, that not anyone can go into these rooms. Only certain people at certain times for certain reasons can go into these rooms. And to go into these rooms, they need to go through a certain cleansing procedure. They need to wear certain clothes, and they need to only do certain things. And it's a matter of life and death. And you might have been into one of these rooms. It looks like this. It's actually similar in some ways. Like we think, well, priests have to wear these clothes and all this stuff. Like that's so weird. Like why is that? And then that is a lot symbolic. But it's actually similar to an operating room. Like you can't just waltz into an operating room. Like, only certain people can, and only under certain conditions, and you have to put certain things on, and it's because it's holy. It's, it's a room that's set apart for a specific purpose, and it's quite serious reasons around that, um, and it needs to be guarded and protected. Now, if a surgeon who's allowed to go in there was sick, they shouldn't go in that room, all right? They're unclean. Like, they, you need to be well and healthy to go into that room because it's a holy room. And it's in a similar sense, what Leviticus is getting at is, is the, symbolic, the symbol of this in that God is holy. God is the author of life. There is no one like him. And these, these ideas of being clean and unclean is a sense of like God, God is pure life. And when we're living life, we come into contact with death in a sense. Whether that's actually through touching somebody who's dead. One of the things that makes you unclean is touching a dead body. There's this in a sense in a symbol of someone who has leprosy or a skin disease. It's a sign of mortality or death even. Um, there's other things that can make that, that the case. And it's like if we were to touch a dead body and then just walk into God's presence, the symbol is that you're just bringing death into the presence of the author of life. So there's this, this, this steps and there's this, this clean and unclean. Now, it's not wrong to be unclean. In the same way, it's not wrong for a surgeon to get a cold. What's wrong is for a surgeon with a cold to walk into an operating room, into a holy space. What's, it's not wrong to wear board shorts and, and like play with dogs and have a fun day, but it's not okay if you wear your board shorts and your thongs and you've just been playing with dogs and you walk into an operating room. Like, you're not, you're not clean. And in a, in a similar sense, there's this, this process in Israel, that God's the author of life. And anything associated with death needs to be separated. 
And if anyone's come into contact with death, they need to be quarantined until they're cleansed, and then they can come and enter into the camp again. So there's this, there's this, there's this process around it um, that in Leviticus, God is holy. Therefore, you need to be holy or clean to enter his presence. And there were processes for that to happen. So if someone touched a dead body, they just need to go through the cleansing process. If someone had leprosy and then they were healed, they just needed to go through a cleansing process. That were quite thorough. Um, but it, it, it wasn't God's heart that people would just be excluded forever, but that there would be a process to enter again. But still, it's this process of, well, we need to be cleansed first. Then we see in, in the story of the Bible, kind of like a twist, because there's this, there's this situation in Isaiah where something happens that doesn't really fit this exactly. It's kind of saying, well, maybe just what Leviticus is saying is not quite the whole story. There's a story in Isaiah that you might have heard of in Isaiah 6. This story where Isaiah, who's a prophet, he's not a priest, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, sitting on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him was seraphim, these winged creatures, each with six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and two they were flying. So he's having a vision that he's in the temple, and he's not a priest. He's not supposed to be there. He's in the holy place where God is. And we kind of read this um, story normally like, oh, okay, Isaiah's a prophet, and he's in the presence of God. That's cool. Like, the presence of God is great. But, but for Isaiah, this is like a fearful thing. This is a serious thing. Like, he's not supposed to be here. Uh, we see this. These, these, these creatures are calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. This is a complete holy place where the holy God is. And it's a fearful, in a sense, almost awful place. Because at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook. The temple was filled with smoke. So it's, it's almost like dark and smoky and shaking. And, and Isaiah's not supposed to be there. And it's God who's holy. So it, it's not just like, a, oh, he's nice, it's in the presence of God. This is like a fearful thing. And we see that because Isaiah freaks out. He basically says, this is the worst thing that could ever happen, that I'm here. He says, I'm not supposed to be here. He says, woe is me, I am ruined. He says, that's it, my life is over. I'm not supposed to be in this holy place. Why? He says, because I am a man of unclean lips. He says, I'm in the, 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 the presence of the holy God and I'm unclean. But it's not that he's necessarily saying he's ceremonially unclean, but like internally he's unclean. His lips have been speaking death, destruction. His lips don't reflect the holiness and goodness of God, the author of life. And he says he lives among a people of unclean lips. And now his eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He's, he's freaking out because he's in the holy space and he's not clean. He shouldn't be there. He has no right to be there. The message translation says it this way, Doom, it's doomsday, I'm as good as dead. Every word I've ever spoken is tainted, blasphemous even. And the people I live with talk the same way, using words that corrupt and desecrate. And here I've looked at God, God in the face, the King, God of angel armies. So they're saying, God is pure, holy, good, and I, my lips have death and destruction on them. I should not be here. And the story keeps going. Then one of the seraphim, these weird creatures with all these wings that are there, come to him, and he's already freaking out with a live coal in his hand, which he's taken from the tongs of the altar. 
So he's not already freaking out because he's not supposed to be there. Now this crazy, weird creature has got a coal and is coming for his lips. Like, that's going to be scary. Like, what do you think he's expecting to happen? Like, he's not, he's not supposed to be there. He's expecting to be burnt up. He's expecting he's being destroyed. He, that, this is the end for Isaiah. That's, that's it. And the coal is going to touch someone who's unclean. So he's going to be destroyed. I mean, let me see this. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And this is not supposed to happen. Like, if someone unclean touches something holy, the holy thing becomes unclean. It's the uncleanness that's contagious. It's the sin. It's the defilement that's contagious. But we see something else happening now, because the coal that's holy is touching Isaiah and burning up the sin and purifying and cleansing and making him holy. It's the holiness that is transferring and healing and cleansing. The Bible Project guys, it's Tim Mackey and those guys said, this is unexpected to say the least. The implications of Isaiah's vision are huge. Perhaps God doesn't need to be protected by the impurity of our sin. Maybe it's the other way around. Maybe it's our sin that is endangered by God's holiness. God comes with that coal to burn up Isaiah's sin. As Isaiah has confessed his sin, and then he's purified and he's cleansed, he says it's atoned for, it's covered, it's forgiven. You see, in Isaiah, there's like a twist to this story. Instead of God's holiness being contaminated by sin, it can purify and cleanse us from sin. He's actually transformed and healed by coming into contact with God's holiness rather than the temple or the, the holy place being defiled because he's unclean. So with all that background, we've got the background of Leviticus, those who need to be put aside, lepers, those who've touched dead bodies and, and so forth. Then there's this twist. And then like, now let's return to this story in Matthew. That Jesus comes down from the mountainside. Jesus who is God with us. Jesus who's the embodiment of God. Who is God's presence. Who's the Holy One. And all these crowds are following him. And a man with leprosy comes and runs up into God's presence. A man who's unclean. Who's, who's not supposed to be there. And he kneels before Jesus. And the word there is the word worship. He, he bowed down, knelt in worship before Jesus. So this man's not supposed to run into God's presence. He's not clean. He's not supposed to come up. Right? Everyone else who sees this probably recognizes this. But he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He's seen Jesus' authority and Jesus' power, and he's wondering if, if Jesus is willing to cleanse him. And we see this man who probably has been on the outer for a while. We don't know how long he had leprosy. Maybe it could be years, could be a while. Probably not, not been touched by anybody. You can't touch someone with leprosy or you become unclean. Maybe not been able to talk to anybody. Been excluded from society, just, just, but maybe felt ashamed or rejected, not able to come into God's presence, not able to go to the temple, not able to go to Jerusalem. Matthew 8.3 says, Jesus reached out his hand and touched them. He says, are you willing? Jesus touches him. He says, I am willing. Be clean. And immediately, he was cleansed of his leprosy. And again, we, if we're reading this with all this background, we think, why is Jesus touching someone who's unclean? Jesus is going to become unclean. 
Because uncleanness is contagious. This, this man is supposed to be put outside, and if anyone who touches him becomes unclean. But we see something new is happening now, because Jesus touches him, and the man becomes clean. Jesus is holy, and his holiness and his purity, in a sense, it touches this man and cleanses him and makes him holy. Jesus then said to him, see that you don't tell anyone. It's like Jesus has enough publicity. He doesn't need more people. He doesn't need bigger crowds. He's got, they're, they're big enough. He says, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. As people say, there's lots of different reasons why Jesus might have said this. One, one is that this man's now being healed, so he can actually come back into Jewish society. But the way to do that is still to go through the process of offering the sacrifices and going through the cleansing period. And Jesus wants him to be incorporated and accepted. So he says, go, go through the process. Uh, this could also be Jesus almost subtly um, demonstrating to the priests his, his power and the power of God and the compassion of God, that God's heart is not that people with leprosy just get excluded, but that they be cleansed, that they be healed, that they be included, that God's heart is for them, that Jesus moves towards them. But we see now in Jesus, holiness is now contagious. Jesus doesn't need to stay away from sin. He actually moves towards those affected by sin, by sickness and death with his cleansing, healing, life-giving power. Before, in Leviticus, it was that you need to be cleansed first before you come into God's presence. Then we see there's a twist, something different's happening in Isaiah. Now God's holiness, in a sense, is not being contaminated, but actually purifies and cleanses. And then we see the fulfillment of this in Jesus, that Jesus goes towards those. He leaves heaven and comes to earth, a place full of sin and uncleanness and death and destruction. He comes. And, and he comes towards those who are sick, those who have been rejected, those who are outcasts, and he touches them. And when he touches them, it transforms them. It doesn't make him unclean. In a sense, he does take it, their burden, take their sin, their sickness on himself. But it leads to healing. It leads to, to um, cleansing. It leads to being reconciled and incorporated back into society. So just like we want to finish with just a few thoughts of, of what this could mean for us. Uh, to sort of flip our thinking with this as well. Because sometimes we can still kind of think according to Leviticus, which sort of says when we sin or when we stuff up, when we do the wrong thing, when we fall short, all of a sudden now we're in a sense unclean. We're, we're, not, we're not worthy to come before God. We're, we shouldn't come to church. We shouldn't pray. We can't take communion if we've thought these things or done these things or stuffed up in this way. We might have that, that sense that we need to avoid because it's going to spread. It's going to, God's not going to be happy with us. He's, he's going to be, he doesn't want anything to do with us if we've sinned at all. And we kind of start to avoid God and avoid church. When we don't read the Bible, when we don't pray. But actually, we see in this something different. Actually, Isaiah is in God's presence, right? And, and he's unclean. And, and God is not like, he's not, God's not worried about that. But, but Isaiah is worried about that, and God moves towards him in cleansing and healing. And again, Jesus moves towards those who need cleansing and healing. When we stuff up, God moves toward us. To, to, in a sense, he wants, he wants to deal with our sin. He doesn't want it just to stay there, but he wants to move towards us and bring healing and cleansing, in a sense, purifying or burning it up. And actually, that's what we need. The thing we need to do when, when we stuff up is not avoid God, but we need God's presence. 
We need him to touch us and transform us. And actually the response is to surrender to him, to, to come to him like the, the leper and know that he is willing to heal, he is willing to forgive, he is willing to cleanse. So we don't avoid, but we actually need to come to him, knowing that he can come and transform us. In a similar way, we are um, a community that is a holy people. That's how we're described in the New Testament, that the church is God's holy people. Because we have been forgiven. We've been filled with the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. That presence of God that was in the Holy of Holies is now in us. And it's to be in us corporately as a church. And so we are to be a holy people. But sometimes that can be misunderstood to just mean that we, we must like escape the world. We need to be separate from the world. We need to be disconnected from the world. Because if we go into the world, it will contaminate us and, and it will make us unclean or it will make us... It's dangerous, and we kind of can, in a fearful way, think, well, we need to be holy. We need to be away from all that. But it's just not, which is kind of like thinking, well, that, the, the, the world and sin, that's all contagious and dangerous. We need to avoid it. That's not the heart. The heart is that we are to be holy in a sense of devoted to God. We are his holy people, and we need to be a community of life and not death, of, of truth and grace and, and mercy and purity because that's who we truly are now. We're God's people and God is the author of life. God is truth. God is beauty. God is goodness. So we are to reflect him, which actually does mean being separate to the world. We're not to be like a world where there's destruction and division and death. We're to be separate. But we see God's heart is not that we're just separate, but that like Jesus, we're holy, but moving toward. We're moving toward a world that's in need. We're moving toward those who are... Um, sick, those who are broken, those who are sinners. Jesus goes to the sinners, not the righteous. So actually to be a holy community, but not a community that just sort of cuts off from the world, but actually a community that moves towards the world with God's powerful holiness that actually will overflow from us into others. And we don't, we're not on the back foot thinking, oh, we're going to be affected. We, we need to hide. We need to, we need to run. It's like like Jesus, it's like, no, we're on the front foot. We're actually moving forward. God's power and life are overflowing into the world. It's, it's, it's other people that need to be worried. God is the one who's working through us. God is on our side. We, we move on the front foot with his mercy and love and compassion, particularly to those on the outer, like, like lepers in Jesus' day, and maybe other people in our day who might be excluded or rejected. We see that actually God's heart of compassion is for them. We're described like this in John. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. God's, God's heart is that we will be a community of rivers of living water that then flow not just here, but then out into the community, out into those who have need. As we meet, as we, as we love, as we, we um, comfort, and actually share God's grace and love. So see, in Jesus, holiness is now contagious. It's not, the, it's not the uncleanness that spreads, but as Jesus touches, as Jesus heals, as Jesus prays, he gives life. He moves towards those affected with, affected with sin, sickness, and death with his cleansing, healing, life-giving power. And we are to be holy people set apart to then keep going on this mission with Jesus as he moves towards the world with his cleansing, healing, life-giving power to those in need. So I'm going I'm to pray. Um, and then we're going to respond by singing. And, um, and let's just reflect on God's power and God's presence that we have now. Um, 
And then af afterwards today, I was just thinking maybe if, if there is anyone who would like to, to pray, uh, I'm just going to stand up here after the service, and if, you, if you'd like prayer for anything, particularly Jesus has just shown his power to heal, and he's still alive today, and he can heal, and if there's people who would like prayer for that or, or prayer for anything, um, I invite you to come up after the service and, um, and, and, or, or meet with somebody else next to you as well. So maybe we could stand together and um, let's, let's just respond to God and, and then we'll sing as well. Dear Father, just thank you that you are a God of grace and compassion and forgiveness. Lord, uh, we are all unclean in a sense. We've all fallen short. Uh, maybe even this week, God, in need of your forgiveness. Lord, we just ask that your Holy Spirit will come and meet with us, God. Your Holy Spirit that purifies and cleanses and heals. Holy Spirit, would you fill us afresh, empower us for this week? Would you overflow through us into those in our workplaces, in our families, in our communities, God? Would rivers of living water flow from us, from this community, into the wider region as you bring your healing, life-giving grace and holiness to this world, God? Uh, so would you come, Holy Spirit, and meet with us now? Just pray this in your name.